There was some football this weekend, but none of it happened to involve Man United. But don't fear, we're here to save your week's football entertainment. On today's Devils in the Details, we'll take a quick look at United's win over Sheriff before discussing some of the awesome questions you asked us on Twitter. Before we get started, since it's our first episode with music, I wanted to talk about the brilliant intro music you heard and the even better music you're going to hear at the end of the episode. Case, how are we feeling about the awesome new Devils in the Details theme song? Uh, it was great. Um, every, everything we could have possibly asked for. So uh, yeah, shout out to Jacob because he did us a huge favor. Um, and, and honestly, we are... I think we're both super excited about it. When I heard it, I honestly audibly gasped. Um, Jacob will definitely be in our shout outs at the end of every podcast from now on. But I want to give an extra shout out now to Jacob Connor, who you can follow at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. He makes great music and he did an excellent job for us. And we hope you like the new music. All right. The Sheriff game. Case. I'll be honest, it's been a hectic week for me and I didn't watch it. So give me a short... Sheriff versus Man United for Dummies breakdown. Yeah, so I have to say, I think this match was a bit of a snoozer. Not super entertaining, but for the most part, United didn't look to be struggling. They did have a few moments where there was a lot of, there was a bit of stale possession, and then Sheriff would break, but really nothing would come of it. Uh, There weren't a lot of big chances conceded in this match. And then the breakthrough came through Erickson. Sancho, obviously, with a great finish, but this whole team revolves around Erickson. When, when we have good moments, it's Erickson. Honestly, I'm just... My biggest takeaway from that match, and the whole season thus far, is I, I'm so surprised by how much of an effect Erickson has had on this team. Yeah, it, it's just things work when he's in the side and he's playing well, and things don't when he isn't. And that's why he's not been dropped for any of these matches. I think another, maybe, headline you would you could say from the match was the fact that we went with such a strong lineup. Uh, And my guess is the reasoning for this was we hadn't had a match at the weekend. And so just an effort to maintain match fitness for the first six I. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about the squad rotation or lack thereof. And I guess the I would have liked to see more squad players appear in the match. But I totally understand why... He went with the first choice team. I don't think it's going to cause any extra drain to the squad. It's just a matter of perhaps integrating other players. Um, In terms of Ericsson, we had a question about sort of the reliance that United tend to have on Ericsson. It was, can you predict how maybe Ten Hag's game plan might be changed if Ericsson was unavailable? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's tough to say. All of our buildup this season has revolved around not just Ericsson, but also Lisandro. And so my instinct is to say, maybe the game starts to revolve more around Lisandro than it had been previously. But it's really a two-man game, as opposed to just one person picking out every ball. Lisandro's generally been getting the ball from defense into midfield, and then Ericsson has been sort of linking one to, one to the other, right? And so I feel that any solution that sees you increasing your usage of Lisandro isn't actually necessarily going to make up for the absence of Ericsson because it's two different pieces of the puzzle. So with that in mind, uh, my, my guess is that Fred comes in 
but that's obviously not a solution. And I think we've seen that the, the utilization of Fred now is different than it was under Solskjaer. Yeah, I, I guess maybe this is an uninteresting answer, but hopefully we don't have to find out uh, because I don't think there's a solution that is as good as simply having Erickson in the side. And I think we've seen that reflected in the fact that Erickson's played every game. Yeah, I pretty much agree. And I know the Europa League is kind of important now that now that United lost that first match against Sociedad, they have to sort of be next to perfect in the remaining matches. But I, I kind of would have liked to see someone like Zidane Iqbal or perhaps less riskily Donny van de Beek in, in that sort of deeper role where Eriksen normally plays. And I don't really think it's Donny's best role. I think it could be Iqbal's best role in this side. Uh, but just experimenting with different options because Ericsson is neither a long-term solution nor a solution in every match right now. I'm going to move to one more thing that I th- looked really interesting to me from this game. I read that Tyrell Malasia played right back in the second half. How did that work? What did that look like? And we also had a question from Peter. Lindelof and Malasia both got minutes at right back in the Europa League games. What would be your first option as backup to Dalo? So I guess maybe this question is assuming that Wambasaka is unavailable indefinitely, which he isn't. No, he's also an option. Let's say Wambasaka is also an option. I think it's still Wambasaka. And like, I I think Wambasaka is really limited as a player. I don't think he suits football at the highest level. I don't think he should be playing for high-level possession teams. But he's actually a right back. And I'm really against using either center backs as fullbacks who don't have experience playing as fullbacks. It's one thing if it's a player who can do both, who can play both positions, but somebody like Lindelof is visibly uncomfortable positionally at right back, especially when you ask him to do things like what Dallow has been doing this season, which has been inverting, uh, sort of adjusting dynamically to the positioning of his teammates, which it's an it's sort of an advanced concept for any fullback. And then I'm also pretty staunchly against using a left footer at right back, the same way I'm against using a right footer at left back. It causes problems for how you orient your body. And so Malasi was fine in this Sheriff match when he came when he moved to right back, especially because I think he was playing that more reserved role that he also plays on the left. But yeah, I I, I think you're just gonna see we're at a point in squad development where we're trying to get the right profiles at each position. And I think we we've done a lot of that this summer. We've gotten a left footed right winger at right wing, we've gotten a left footed center back at left center back. We've gotten like more of a, uh, a forward-minded passing midfielder in Ericsson. And there's a couple other, exam- other examples of that. And I think these sort of quick fixes, like Malasi at right back or Lindelof at right back, are a step in the wrong direction. It's difficult because I really don't think Wambasaka can do what's required. And I think that this is sort of a sign of that. But it more becomes important if Dalo is missing for important matches, which we hope won't happen. And I expect within the next two years to see a right back joining United as well, whether to usurp Dalo or to become his backup. I think that's all we have for the Sheriff match, and United don't have any more matches until the Manchester Derby on October 1st. So stay tuned. We'll be back with sort of a Q&A that we got some really good questions on Twitter, and I think it'll mix it up a little bit and allow us to talk about some topics that We haven't covered so far during the length of our recording for the first six episodes of the podcast. So stay tuned.
All right, welcome back. Uh, this is Case now, as opposed to Aaron. Uh, hopefully you guys are getting used to me hosting. So we're gonna, for the second part, sort of play a game. Uh, Aaron and I have a document uh, with all the questions you guys asked us at the Devils in the Details pod handle on Twitter. First of all, please follow us. The, the handle is devilsitdpod, that's P-O-D, on Twitter, if you don't, haven't already, because in the future you can get involved with uh, our Q&A or anything else that we do from that account. So yeah, we're going to take turns asking questions and answering, uh, and I get first pick. So uh, we're going to ask each other uh, a question from the list and then discuss. So first off, this question comes from uh, Sully. And so the question is Bruno Fernandez's long-term future. Uh, and I'm going to add a little bit on what do you think it is? How do you see Bruno fitting into the side this year, three years from now, five years from now? Yeah, I think this is a good start. Um, this season, I think is pretty clear. He's going to be the main number 10 for United. And I also would not be surprised to see him continue there in the long term. I think if you asked me three or so weeks ago, I would have been a lot more hesitant. Um, Bruno has a big learning curve with respect to the system. I don't think he played in a high level possession system when he first joined United. I don't think he played, uh, I suspect that he didn't play in a high level possession system at sporting. And because of that, he's had to learn a lot of the ropes with respect to playing this style of football, especially out of possession and his decision making in the final third. However, I do think Bruno is a great creator. I think his goals and assists record speaks for itself and it's consistent over time. He has provided when United are good. He has provided when United are bad. And when United are good, he's been a big reason why. If he continues to improve the way he has in the last sort of half dozen games, basically the first few games under Ten Hag, I think it's likely that he continues to have this spot in the team. And I think that the fact that he signed a long-term contract at the end of Rangnick's time sort of implies that that's going to be the case. Um, in terms of where he could get displaced, it's either he doesn't keep improving um, or we decide to go with someone slightly different, perhaps someone who's more dynamic on the ball in terms of dribbling ability, which is just something that you don't get with Bruno's game, or maybe a different type of number 10 who can score more goals with Sancho and Anthony both being sort of ball-heavy, creative players. Although I do think Bruno's goal scoring is pretty good. Yeah, I think I broadly agree with that answer. Uh, I think the one thing that makes me question, maybe not Bruno specifically, but the, the squad makeup that we're sort of, we seem to be headed towards, is I think there's a seriously problematic lack of, and you alluded to this, lack of ball carrying uh, across the, the first 11. And... While Bruno isn't is by no means the only instance of this, I think he plays in a position where it's particularly visible. And I actually think this season, the matches where Bruno has been more willing to carry the ball have been the matches where he's played better. And so I think we're actually going to have a question about this later. Uh, but I do wonder if somebody like Sancho, in certain instances, might be able to offer something different in those central areas. Um, that we might want to see. But uh, broadly, I agree. I think Bruno is going to be the, the starting number 10 for the side for the next at least three years. Well, let's go straight to that question. Uh, th that'll be my question to you. Linus asked, I've seen some discourse about trying Sancho in a more central position due to recent performances and perceived flaws in his game when playing wide. For various reasons, I'm not as concerned about winger Sancho as many others on here seem to be, on here being Twitter. Uh, but do you have any thoughts on that case? Yeah. So I think I'll open it up by saying I agree. I'm not really that worried about Sancho uh, as a winger. 
We've been saying this for a year now. Surround him with the right players, uh, a fullback that overlaps him, a midfielder who's going to come into the half space for him to play off of, maybe a striker who is a little bit more capable of sort of link play. And you're going to see Sancho play a lot better than I think we've seen him play yet in a United kit. On the other hand, he clearly can't really beat people on the dribble at the highest level. I think we can say that with certainty at this point. And I do think playing him in central areas is going to allow him to, rather than the the onus being put on him to isolate and beat players 1v1, for him to sort of float around, use what he uh, what are objectively excellent close control and sort of evasive dribbling ability to affect the game in central areas in a different way than Bruno does, while still having like that ability to play a killer ball. Uh, it was actually something I hadn't thought of at all uh, until really a couple weeks ago when I saw somebody bring it up. And the more I think about it, the more I think it actually is a good idea, especially since, I, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like we're lacking a bit of dynamism when it comes to ball carrying. And if you move Sancho centrally, his sort of 1v1 deficiencies aren't so glaring, and you can maybe get somebody who's really, really good 1v1 over on that left wing. Yeah, I think it's sort of unlikely given Bruno's and Ericsson's sort of established place in the side. Um, and I also think Sancho's fine out wide. I agree. I think maybe there are different ways to get more out of him, like perhaps getting more from an attacking perspective from the left backs, which is something you talked about last week. But I would think in theory it could work. I think Sancho is a really good ball carrier, and I think he's a really good passer. Like you said, he doesn't really have that elite burst in the dribble, but I think what matters more is the fact that if you want to create some kind of sort of carrying of the ball from deep and uh, and have a player who sort of takes initiative to carry the ball forward on his own, I think Sancho would be a really good fit. So when you say a deeper role, are you suggesting using Sancho as an eight? Well, I think inherently the sort of most advanced eight role in this team is deeper than the wing role. But I I wouldn't use him as sort of not the most advanced in a midfield three, put it that way. Okay. Understood. My turn. Okay, we've got a we've got a question from the Scouted Football account, which is also shout out to the guys at Scouted Football, friends of the pod. Uh, you should go follow Scouted Football. Uh, and their question is, which academy players are you most excited about, and why? Aaron, what's your answer to that? That one's a bit tough. Um, I would say Ahmad, but I'm going to ask you about Ahmad in a minute because I think it ties in well. You wrote about Ahmad for Scouted Football. Um, yeah, while you're at it. Scouted football is great. Shout out to Scouted football. Most exciting academy player who isn't Ahmad and isn't promoted. That's a tough one. I think I'm going to go with Zidane Iqbal. I think normally I'd have picked Hannibal Medjbri, but he's gone out on loan. So I'm going to go with Iqbal as someone who could play minutes right now. Um, United need to fix the problem. And we sort of alluded to this in the first half. But United need to fix the problem of Ericsson not really having any deputy or being able to rest any minutes at all. And given that they're in the Europa League group stages and coming up to two matches against Ammonia, I would like to see Zidane Iqbal given at least a few minutes in both of those games as sort of a way of acknowledging that he is perhaps the most suited to being that kind of Ericsson deputy based on the current options that are around. I really like Iqbal, what he represents. I think he... I think... As a sort of South Asian growing up watching Premier League football, it's really cool to see someone 
who is also South Asian, uh, playing at the highest level. It's something you almost never see. Um, really nice sort of passing ability, and I think he has really good decision-making from what I've seen. He's good at choosing when to sort of go for a longer range or a more risky pass versus when to circulate possession. And in terms of minutes in the first team, I think maybe where he's not quite there yet is just sort of the typical things you expect to see with youth players who are good but not quite there yet. He played a couple minutes in preseason, and one thing I noticed was a lot of his passes were falling short. That's typically a sign of a player who's adjusting to playing under probably a slightly more intense press. Um, And that's why I think maybe the Europa League is a good opportunity to get him involved because you don't throw that type of player in directly to the Premier League. You sort of try to ease them in and give them a transition point between where they are now and first team level. But um, I'm curious as to what you have to say, Case. If you're going to say Ahmad, I'll just ask the Ahmad question. No, I I think my answer, first of all, I think choosing Ahmad at this point would be a bit of a a cop-out because A, we purchased him at a really high price point, so he's not really an academy player. And then B, he's just been, even when we purchased him, he was beyond academy football, at least in terms of his level. So I'll go in a different direction. Kabi Mainu is a player I've seen play a few times for the academy uh, sides. Probably the midfielder I'm most confident in United's academy will become a senior side player. Uh, I think just really well-rounded, press resistant, reasonable level of physicality, uh, a good passer of the ball. So yeah, I think that's definitely probably the guy I'm most excited about. But then I'll do another pick. I'm going to cheat again. Um, and I'll say the guy who I think is most likely to contribute soon is Alvaro Fernandez, who uh, is on loan at Preston right now. He's playing really well. Um, I think he's just a really well-rounded left back. And he's technically not an academy product, but um, definitely a player I'm really excited about. Uh, I think he actually he got subbed off this past weekend and he got the, the manager got booed for subbing him off. Interesting. I think Fernandez's outlook might be difficult because of Malasia's recent arrival. Um, and I'm, it's just occurring to me that I could have picked Ethan Laird, who's apparently doing really well at QPR. Awesome. Yeah, I am going to ask you about Ahmad because I think you're one of the most knowledgeable people about Ahmad in general. Uh, the question came from Mike. Uh, Mike said, many seem to have written Ahmad off due to his transfer fee. How good is he? How good can he be? Where should he play? And should he have played more for United? Yeah, so this is an interesting question. Uh, I think we often forget about Ahmad. Uh, and I think most people expected him to already be contributing for the, to the senior side at this point. How good is he? I'll start with that. I think he's quite good. Um, whether he's at a level where he would elevate United's senior team right now, Probably not, but I think that more has to do with how little he's played than his ceiling and his ability to affect Premier League matches. I think he was very unlucky unlucky at Rangers last season. Broadly, he played well based on what I've heard. I saw him play once, but I've also spoken to Rangers supporters who said when he did appear, he was typically good. It's just he missed some critical chances, lost the favor of the fans, lost the favor of the manager, and then just really didn't have time to recover from that because it was only a six-month loan. I think this is still a good player, but then there's also, there's real questions. He's still very small and he's not that young anymore. Uh, He also seems to lack that really top end explosiveness that would translate what is definitely his best skill, his dribbling ability to the highest level. Personally, I think you just have to hope this Sunderland uh, loan goes well. And if it does, then maybe one more loan 
uh, to a lower Premier League side or to maybe France, and then he should be ready. Uh, and if he's not by then, then you probably cut cut the cord. But I still think he's the most talented player United have as part of their youth loan system right now. Awesome. Okay, we've got a question from Carlin Carpenter, which is, in the ideal world, what goalkeeper targets would you like to bring in to replace De Gea? Aaron, I think you have some strong feelings about this, so I'll let you take this one. It's actually a difficult one, because I began to do some research, and the options aren't actually that... I don't think it's a clear-cut choice. I think there's a lot of players who... I think you've kind of ended up in a situation where a lot of players could feasibly improve upon De Gea, but it's about choosing perhaps the best, either the best value or the best overall player. And so I'll give you one option for both. Also, also side note, it's not very convenient that Onana was allowed to go to Inter for free. Um, I would have said Onana. Uh, but anyway, okay. Value option is David Raya. I think Raya could be available for a cut price deal because he's entering the last 18 months of his contract at Brentford. So next summer, he'll have 12 months left on his deal. And I think if United express interest, he'd be unlikely to sign a new deal um, and likely to want to join United. Raya's a really... So ballpark that... What, what's your ballpark estimate on that price? When we're saying Ooh. cut price, is that 10? Is that 30? Is I, that 50? I would say sub 30. Okay. I don't think it'll be much lower than like 20 because they're still a Premier League team, but sub 30. And But again, I'm not... I, I don't work for either Brentford or United's front office, so I have no idea. Raya's a nice goalkeeper in the sense that he's sort of like the template that you would sign to play the role. Um, he's a very, very, very aggressive sweeper. He's a very, very, very ambitious distributor of the ball. Brentford do a lot of very modern things with their style of play, and Raya's a great representation of that. He can kick it ridiculous ranges, like we're talking 50 yarders, like he can hit his teammates super easily. He's very proactive, and he's a decent to good shot stopper, like average to above average at Premier League level. So the overall balance of those attributes is a player who I think could come in and immediately improve the way United implement this system. At 27, he could be an option for a pretty long time, probably as long as maybe the next 10 years as a goalkeeper. Um, and yeah, with, with the fact that his contract's running down, I think he could be available reasonably. My more sort of ambitious out there option is Robert Sanchez from Brighton. Sanchez is sort of like Raya, but take it to the next sort of level. His kicking is unbelievable. Probably... I want to say close to the best I've seen after Ederson. And playing for Grand Potter's Brighton, a lot is asked of him in that system, and he tends to live up for the most part. He's also the most proactive goalkeeper in terms of claiming crosses and sweeping actions uh, in the Premier League. I think he might be the most proactive in Europe as a whole. Just pretty much the antithesis of De Gea, and I think it's pretty interesting to see that he has sort of taken over De Gea's place in the Spanish national team setup as well, even though he hasn't been actually starting for Spain. Sanchez, I'm assuming, would be a lot more expensive. Brighton have been charging a pretty penny for a lot of their departures. We saw Cucurea go for £62 million to Chelsea. Yeah, I, I assume he would cost north of £50 million, I I have to believe, but... I think he'd be worth it. The only thing with Sanchez is I think he tends to be a little bit on the sort of proactive to the point of making sometimes glaring mistakes, which 
I'm not sure how United fans would feel about dealing with that occasional mistake, even though I think overall he's a huge net positive. And I don't think he's actually at the peak of his powers. I think he can get better. As a goalkeeper, I just think the pressure tends to be higher. The mistakes tend to get magnified. And Ryo would probably be the safer option. And then uh, I'll give one more option, actually. Uh, play Dean Henderson. I think Henderson is definitely limited on the distribution front, but he's there. I think he's deserved a chance for a while, and I don't think he has done anything with the chances he's had to suggest that he can't do it. So if United need to be spending big money in other positions, which is probably what we're going to talk about next, there's no need to perhaps replace... I think Henderson is better than perhaps the alternatives that United have in those other possessions that they need to look to address in the next few years. Yeah, I, I think that's... I agree with all that. I'll, I'll add in one more name. This is probably in the prohibitively expensive range because I think he just signed a new contract. But Mike Mignon, I don't know how to pronounce that name. It's a French name. Uh, he plays for AC Milan. Uh, I think he's brilliant uh, and he's been brilliant for AC Milan and he was quite good for Lille before that. So I have no idea how much he'd cost, but there's like half a dozen players on Milan that I'd love us to sign. So I feel like Mignon is probably in the top, I don't know, five or six goalkeepers on the planet. So I'm assuming he's not available, but yeah, I'd love to have mine in. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd pick him over any of the guys I suggested. So yeah, I think yeah, just wanted to throw in a non-Premier League option who maybe is attainable, probably not. I would totally be open to mine in if he's available. He might actually, you might find out he's cheaper than Sanchez. I'm not sure, but I'm going to ask you about more transfers. Uh, yeah, let's go Daniel Walters. He asked... We all know the positions we must target next windows or in the next few windows. Uh, we've got goalkeeper, right back, center mid, and striker. We just talked about goalkeeper. Given realistic budgetary constraints, who and which profile should we target? I'm going to ask you to name maybe one right back, one center mid, and one striker, and then I'll do the same. So is this for the January window, are we saying, or are we saying just generally? Let's just go with in general. I assume none of these positions are going to, at least not a lucrative first team signing is going to join in January. I'm just guessing. I shouldn't say I'm assuming. Let's just go with your ideal target for those positions. Okay. So I say for central central midfield, it would be Frankie Dion, but I'm extreme. Like, I think nobody wants to hear that at this point, whether he's interested or not. Uh, so I'll go in a different direction. I'll say Ismail Benasser. Benasser. Yeah, I think so. Um, who also plays for Milan. This has been a guy who I think has been one of the best deep midfield, midfielders in Europe going back like three three years probably. Um, he's sort of had a rough last two years, whether that be from an injury standpoint or a selection standpoint. But I think he offers a lot of what De Jong offers without being prohibitively expensive. He's sort of in and out of Milan's first 11 these past few years, even though I think he's objectively one of the best midfielders in Italy. So then moving on, I'll stay in uh, Italy. Striker, it's Victor Osimhen for me. I've said this a million times. I think he's clearly after Holland and Mbappe. He's the, that next forward in that age group. I think he's probably the, the most guaranteed goal getter out, outside of those two. And those two are obviously unattainable. And then is our other position right back, we said? Right back. So this is an interesting one. I'm not sure I have a name that really makes me go crazy right now that's genuinely attainable. People have talked about Hakimi maybe being unhappy at PSG. I'm not holding my breath about that. 
the, the, we've been uh, linked to Dumfries uh, of Inter. Uh, yeah, I see why. I see why. He'd definitely be something that we don't have. Um, he's like one of probably the three or five, probably top three fullbacks from a box threat perspective. Just like a crazy goal scoring record for a fullback. And that's not lucky. Like he, he's got incredible physical and, and mental attributes in the final third that allow him to do that. But he's also just technically really choppy. I think we'd all get frustrated with him. So yeah, I think I'll, I'll try to give, give some more thought on that one and have a better answer maybe next episode. Do you have somebody in mind? I think I go with Malo Gusto from Leon. Ah, yes. Uh, he's 19 and really, really good player from what I've seen. He was a converted winger, so I think he's still kind of growing on the defensive side. But from what I've seen, he's not a liability by any stretch. He's able to fulfill the positional responsibilities at least. And I haven't seen him get like absolutely grilled 1v1. Admittedly, I, I get hesitant to judge defenders in sort of not massive samples because sometimes you just see the matches where they don't make mistakes. But positionally, he seems fine. I would also perhaps suggest Kyle Walker-Peters who at Southampton. I think he's really, really good. I think he's probably more similar to Dalo than Malo Gusto, who Malo Gusto is very much like an overlapping really, really high-end crosser, loves to be in the final third. He's still strong in build-up, and I think he could play that inverted role as well. Mostly, like, right now, a very good attacking force. Whereas Kyle Walker-Peters is more of, like, a get-involved-in-the-build-up heavily. A lot of progressive passes. Walker-Peters scores as one of the highest, one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League for ball progression, despite playing for Southampton. And every other fullback that's anywhere near him plays for a big six team. So... Yeah, if if you can't get Gusto, who is young and really good, I would get Walker Peters, who is relatively young and still really good. Central midfield, I pretty much agree. If you asked me for two, I would have picked Frankie and Manasser. Um, I'm trying to think of another option. Uh, I know Kakare renewed at at Leon as well. He'd be lovely, but he's sort of like a, a slightly different profile, I think. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Bruno Gimmaresh would have been my Yeah, would have been the man. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would have even picked him over, over Benasser. I'm not sure who else there really is. You got to be kind of picky about that position. And I also would have liked a good Coutinho name to throw in the mix either way. So. Yeah, I, I guess that gives you an idea of the profile. I'm not sure what exact player fits that. I have a feeling it'll be back in for Frankie, and hopefully he maybe changes his mind after a year of the bench at Barcelona and maybe get some of the how about Moises Caicedo um I like Caicedo but I think he's a bit different I I wouldn't I think it would be a little bit underselling him to call him the Casemiro replacement as an underselling him on the ball to call him the long-term Casemiro replacement but I think functionally or like fundamentally that's the role that he would replace in the midfield I don't really at least not right now I don't think he's the 100 passes kind of player um that that fits the profile of the other guys that I've listed. But I really like Caicedo. I think he's awesome. Oh, they just hired Deserby. So I'm sure he's going to be one of the best midfielders in the league this season. Or one of the best young midfielders in the league this season. Yeah, I would I would consider him more of a different profile. I'm not sure I would play Casemiro, Caicedo, and Bruno as my midfield. Up front, yeah, I would have picked Ossiemen as well. Ossiemen fixes a lot of the issues that we've been talking about in the attack. Like, he's just... He adds so much. But... Uh, since you already said Aussie Man, I'll throw in Tammy Abraham. Really good goal scorer with solid, solid underlyings. And he had solid underlyings in the Premier League. So anyone who says that, you know, strikers have a tough time translating, that won't work with Tammy Abraham because he's definitely going to... 
he is pretty much guaranteed output um, in in the Premier League as well as across Europe. And he's also a pretty interesting holdup player all around. I think he's got nice receiving with his back to goal. Um, I think he's really interesting in transition. I think he can carry a little bit, which is really nice. A really good all-round player with a solid goal-scoring record who I think would fix a lot of the issues that Aussie men would also fix. Although, I would still prefer Aussie men. On that note, I think we're out of time, so we're going to end it here. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.